Hello, party people. Welcome to episode 12 of Storytime with Boone. Can you believe it? Now we're three months in. This is number 12. When I decided to do a weekly podcast, I honestly thought I'd manage two or three weeks of it and I'd have to knock it on there. But look, it was now 100,000 downloads and uh, this is a 12th episode. So first of all, I need to say a big thank you to you for downloading, for subscribing, for interacting. The feedback that we've been getting is uh, overwhelming. So thanks and a big love for all that stuff. Thank you also this week to the Happy Mondays, uh, whose management and record label have spent the last seven weeks arranging to get a very special track on Spotify, especially for me. So in episode five, you heard me talking with Bez out of the Happy Mondays, about the song that they wrote with the Mbira tribe. It was the Ooh La La to Panama, and they wrote it for the uh, the TV series Singing in the Rainforest. And as the song is a charity record, it wasn't available to stream, but they've uh, got it all together, they give me permission to stream it, and it's up there now on Spotify. So if you check out the Spotify playlist for episode five of Storytime with Boone, when you've listened to it, get on iTunes and buy the track. All proceeds go to the Mbira tribe and it is a classic Happy Mondays track as well. Thanks again to our buddies at Red's True Barbecue in Manchester and to Distorted Productions. Without whom these stories would all never get heard over the, the Boone's breakfast table, actually. And believe me, Mrs Boone and the Boone babies really have had enough of this stuff. Dad, we've heard it before. Time to move on. Get a new job. <laughs> anyway, on this week's episode, our good friend and business partner of mine once managed the Beatles. I know, incredible. How my good deed for the day left me looking like a, an interfering buffoon and what happened when the cameras stopped rolling during a rather uncomfortable TV interview featuring myself, Ian Brown and an over-inquisitive TV presenter. I'll talk about how and why I wrote a song called Comet Theme Number no. 1 from the band The Clint Boone Experience in the late 90s and I'll read a poem that I wrote for my dad uh, when he shuffled away to a better place five years ago this week and at the end of this episode an absolutely breathtaking piece of music that you're going to hear from an Irish singer called Stephen Gormley, currently working under the name Moon Looks On. It is one of the most exquisite songs I've heard this decade. Okay, let's do it. Story time with Boone with Red's True Barbecue. Did I ever tell you about a mate of mine who used to manage the Beatles? You'll like this one. Sometime in the, the early 80s, I found myself in the furniture trade now that sounds like a line from a Morrissey song, doesn't it? Or The Fall. I'm in the furniture trade, I got a new job today. That's a Fall song, isn't it? It is. I'll put it on my Spotify playlist. You listen after. Anyway, the boss of a furniture manufacturing company that I'd gone working for, he took a shine to me. I was a bit of a grafter, dead loyal to the business and all that. And when his business partner pulled out, there was like two guys that owned the company, Mike and Ray. Ray pulled out and Mike, the managing director, came to me and he said, look, I know you're a grafter, do you fancy buying into the company and becoming a director with me? And I was 21. I didn't even know what being a company director meant at the time. But I said, yeah, I fancy about that. Went straight home, spoke to my mum and dad, borrowed some money off my mum and dad, got a bank loan, sold some stuff, and I bought shares in the company. I was a company director at 21. I can't remember how much it cost me, but there I was. One at bosses. <laughs> anyway, so the business thrived over the, the following years to the extent that we soon caught the attention of a very successful furniture industry businessman from Liverpool. His name was Clive, Clive Epstein it was called, and he invested some money in the business and he became my business partner. There was like three of us, maybe four directors at the time. And he was a lovely bloke, older than me, and always very interested in the fact that I was in bands and always had bands knocking about. I'd be sat in the office duplicating cassette tapes and posting them out to people, trying to get gigs and that, trying to get noticed. And he'd be on the phones plugging away our business, you know, doing sales stuff and marketing stuff. And I'd be copying demo tapes from the latest recordings or whatever. 
until I'd be like, I the cassette machine switched off. I think it's time for another cassette to go in there like that. Anyway, so one day, early on in our relationship, he said to me, look, Clint, I've been involved in the music industry. I've got a few contacts. Let me know if I can ever help you. So I'm dead intrigued because Clive was such a, a modest chap and I started digging a bit saying, who do you know then? What have you done like in the industry and that? And he got a bit flustered and I'm thinking, there you go, I've put you right on the spot there, aren't he's making this up. And he says, well, my brother Brian used to be a manager of bands. He managed some, some bands. And I'm like, anyone that I've heard of, like? And he says, well, my brother Brian used to manage the Beatles. And then I thought, fucking hell, Clive Epstein, Liverpool. The Epstein family had been like the biggest name in furniture for decades. And this was Brian Epstein's younger brother, Clive, who, after Brian's tragic and untimely death in 1967, Clive inherited the job through Brian's company of managing the Beatles. It wasn't the job that he wanted, but he inherited it because, you know, Brian's estate went to the Epstein family. And suddenly, Clive found himself managing the biggest band of all time. And he managed them for months rather than years, just a few months, I think, until the band set up Apple Records. And then Alan Klein took over as the new manager and the rest is history. And Clive was such a, a modest and humble man. And I loved him and he really played it down, this Beatles connection. But he'd have like various celebs would be phoning him up in the office because he's still very well connected, you know, in the in the 80s. And the phone would go in the office and I'd pick it up. Hello? Yep, Clive, yep, he's here. Uh, who should I say it is, please? Okay, Silla. Yep. Clive? Clive, it's Silla. Black on the phone, Silla Black. I'm talking to Silla Black on the phone in a mill in Ashton. And then another day the phone had gone, but, hello, yeah, yeah, is he, a, who should I say is? Jury. All right, Mr. Marsden. All right, what be a sec? Clive, Jury Marsden on phone. <laughs> jury and the pacemakers. Best one ever, though, without a word of a lie. Phone goes one day and I'm in the office, I'm the nearest one to the phone center. Hello, Solar Metal Industries. That's what we were called, Solar Metal Industries. And Clive was out at the time. So I picked the phone and I said, hello? Yeah, sorry, Clive, he's not here at the moment. Could I take a message? So I get a pen and paper. Yeah, all right. Ken, yeah? Okay. Mr. Dodd. Ken, Ken Dodd talking to me on the phone and I'm writing it down. And then, so, I'm not, it's true. It's true. Stop laughing. True. Clive comes back late that day and I said, I says, Clive, Ken Dodd phoned and he left a message for you. And he says, did he? And I said, no, Doddy. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. Ken Dodd phoned us up and I chatted to him. Doddy's on the phone talking to me, Clint Boone, in Ashton. Incredible. Anyway, so I do miss Clive. He passed away in 1988. And I've always been a bit gutted, actually, that he never got to see how successful my band became, the Inspirals. I mean, when I first met Clive, the Inspirals hadn't even come into my, my life, really. But it, was, it would have been nice for him to see some of what went on subsequently, because without people like Clive at the beginning, people who knew the, the industry and recognised the value in what musicians like me did, we might have knocked it on the head a long time ago. John Peel was another one. You know, people like that just always an inspiration, uh, and I'm eternally grateful for the encouragement they give me. So here's to my old friend and business partner from all those years ago, Clyde Epstein.
I'll call this story Car Park Crusader. You'll see why in a minute. A few years ago, on a visit to Stockport, me and Mrs Boone had just parked our car up in the car park, and as we walked away from it to go about our business, I realised that an elderly gentleman was having trouble backing his car out of a really tight parking space nearby. And it looked like he was on the verge of scratching the car next to him as he was pulling out. So I leapt into action. I left Mrs. Boone standing there, probably about 30 yards away. And I ran over going, whoa, 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 stop, wait, wait, mate, stop. And I stood there in front of his car like a knight in shining armour. You know what I mean? Doing a good deed for the day and all that. Totally about to save this bloke's day and save him a few quid. And his wife, who was also quite elderly, she was in the passenger seat. And I started telling him what to do. I said, all right, all right straighten up. Straight up, slowly, go back, I'm still in front of him. And he starts driving towards me. And I'm going, no, oh, mate, mate, stop, stop. Whoa, 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 you need to reverse. You need to reverse the other way, yeah? And he looked, he looked really confused. I'm like, reverse backwards, away, away, yeah? And he starts coming at me again in the car. And I'm thinking, come on, I've not got time for this, mate. And I looked over at Mrs. Boone, she's shaking red, mouth in summer. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, ridiculous, look at him. And I just wanted to get get him out of his parking space without him doing any damage then I could get on with our day whatever shopping and I'm stood there legs apart in front of his car got both my hands on the bonnet getting a bit narky at this point and I can still feel the car nudging forward towards me and I'm shouting stop the car mate stop the car so I walk around to his door the driver's side and I'm like open your window open wind it down wind it down so he opened his window reluctantly still looking quite perturbed at this point and I said right you get out and I'll do it. And he starts shaking his head. His wife's shitting herself, but I was like looking at me. And I said, Look, it's all right. I'm just, I'm trying to help you here, man. I'm trying, you're going to scratch that bloody car next to you. So I leaned in and I said, Right, I grabbed the steering wheel. I said, Right, straighten this up and slowly back out. And he does it again, nudging forward instead of backwards. I'm like, I said, Grab the wheel. I said, Look, right, put it in reverse. That, your gear stick there, ah, put it in right, r- and slowly put your foot on the right hand pedal, accelerator, back out. And he's mumbling something, looking at his wife. Shaking his head. Anyway, slowly, the car starts going backwards and gently. He did it. He backed out. No damage. And he's on his way. Drives off. And I'm like, yeah, go on. On your way. Don't say thank you. And I walks over to wife like that, shaking my head and saying, what oh, fucking joke that was. I said, did you, did, you, I said, did you see him driving at me? Did you see him coming? He was driving right into me. And we start to walk away through the car park, me and wife. And she says, he was actually, and I cut her off saying, I'll tell you what, he, he was actually incapable of driving. And as I'm saying this, the old guy drives past slowly and glides really smoothly into an empty parking bay. And I'm thinking, what? Wife says, I was trying to tell you, he wasn't attempting to back out of that parking space. He was trying to park up and you stopped him. You need to stop getting involved with things that shouldn't involve you. So I don't anymore. We can't park my car. I don't know. We can't park my car. One of the most popular questions I get asked is about an infamous appearance that me and Ian Brown made on T4 on television where Ian and me were interviewed by Welsh TV presenter Steve Jones. Now I use the word infamous because it's one of those TV moments that goes horribly wrong and ends prematurely with a degree of embarrassment. Something which seems to happen quite often when Ian's involved in a TV studio in front of the cameras. 
I think it was 2006 and Ian and me were both taking part in a, a Carling 24-hour event in London. Ian was the, the big headline act and I was DJing at some, uh, some club somewhere. So I got a call on the day of the gig asking if I could get to the venue a bit early as me and Ian were going to be interviewed together. And I said, I'm up for that. If Ian's up for it, I'll do it. So I packed my wife up and my baby because we were due to go to London anyway for the night. And we just decided to get there early to this TV interview. So we legged it down to London and got to the TV studios in time and all that. And Ian had literally just flown in from Mexico, which is where he was spending a lot of time uh, back then. And he was feeling jet-lagged. He was completely under the weather. He wasn't really in the mood to do an interview, but eventually decided to do it. And the interview started nicely. Steve Jones asking how me and Ian first met and became mates. And we explained about The Mill in Ashton. And we had a band called The Mill and Manny was in The Mill. So we had this little chat about the, the background of it all. Ian was in good spirits at this point. He started giving a, an impromptu demonstration of one of his party tricks, which you will have seen him do it on stage. It's the one where he appears to sort of completely dislocate his arm from his shoulder and rotate it in a really unnatural way. It looks like something from The Exorcist when he does it. So he does that. And soon after this, the conversation turned to one of Ian's favourite things, which is a, a martial art called capoeira. I think it's a Mexican martial art, some South American martial art. Anyway. And at this point, Steve Jones says to Ian, can you demonstrate it? And Ian says, nah, mate. He's obviously not in the mood to do this. And Steve starts pushing, go on, Ian, give us a demonstration. So Ian's like, no, come on, mate, leave it out. And, it, and Steve says again, come on, mate, and I'll, I'll move the table, come here, show us. At which point, Ian uttered the immortal words, do you want me to knock you out from over here, or do you want me to come over there and do it? And at that point, the camera cuts off. Steve Jones says, that's the end of the interview. And at this point, I'm thinking... They're not even going to use this now. I've come down four hours earlier. We've legged it to London and they're not even going to use any of this. Anyway, it did. They put it out later that night. It went out. I think they'd edited it a little bit at the end. But one of the most popular questions that I get asked is, what happened next on that interview when they switched the cameras off? Did Steve Jones get it off Brownie? And much to a lot of people's disappointment, there was no fighting. There's no kicking over of furniture. Just a lot of awkwardness in the studio. Cameramen switching things off, lights going off broadcast assistants disgruntled and tutting everywhere <laughs> and me, Ian, Mrs Boone and our baby Oscar returning to the green room to get our courts. That's all that's happened. And it is on YouTube. The interview is up on YouTube uh, if you want to see it. I think it's up there as um, that Muppet Steve Jones interviews Ian Brown, something like that. Anyway. But um, it's up there and it is, uh, it's awkward viewing, to say the least. I still Every week I like to pick on a particular song that I've written sometime over the years and explain to you how it came about. This week I'm going to tell you what made me write a song recorded by the Clint Boone Experience called Comet Theme Number 1 in the late 1990s. In 1997 a comet named Hale Bop revisited our skies after over 2,000 years and it was only discovered for the first time in 1995 and I was fascinated in this story for two reasons. One, it was a really exciting space story and two... This comet had the best name of any comet that I'd ever heard of. I mean, Ailey's Comet is a good name for a comet, and it gave inspiration to one of the great rock and roll bands, Bill Ailey and the Comets. But Hale Bop 
it's actually like saying all hail rock and roll and it hail bob hail the bob you know what i mean so i just thought it was, what a great name better than um comet shoemaker levi nine there's a comic called that comet shoemaker levi nine no, i'm not having that and then the other one the um unfortunately named one swift tuttle comet <laughs> swift tuttle comet that never did it for me that name it was almost too frivolous wasn't it for for the name of a, a space-bound object, which some scientists still believe could possibly collide with planet Earth one day, Swift Tuttle. It sounds a bit toilet-related, doesn't it? I'm just going for a Swift Tuttle. Reminds me of a story, actually, another story. Off on a bit of a tangent here. It's tangent time. I used to have a manager, um, big lad from Liverpool. I won't tell you his name, because it's a bit unfair, that. And he was round at mine once, one afternoon. And he said, Eh, I'm just going for a shit. Have you got something I can read? And so when I, every time I see Swift Tuttle, I always think, yeah, I'm just going for a Swift Tuttle. Have you got something I can read? Anyway, so back to the comet, Hale Bop. It was named after two blokes who discovered it in 1995. One was called Alan Hale, and the other one was Thomas Bop of Arizona. One of them, they didn't know each other. They spotted it roughly the same time, so that's how they named these comets, I think. One of them didn't even have a telescope. Now, Eve's one of my heroes. How can you do that? How can you discover something like this? The biggest, the most viewed comet in all of history because it was around for a lot of months this thing it was dead bright and this bloke spotted it without he didn't even have a telescope he's like that one look at that up there wait i reckon that's a comet gets on phone to the space commission whatever the cause yeah i spotted a new comet here he was from arizona so he didn't actually talk anything like that anyway so one night in 1997 i'm in rochdale putting my wheelie bins out in my slippers now that's brought the conversation right back down to earth on it from talking about space and you know all this <laughs> I'm putting my wheelie bins out in Rochdale I've got my slippers on and I'm talking to my neighbour over the back fence he was called Alan he was older than me I think he was 30 years older than me and he's sadly no longer with us but he was a fine gentleman and the line in the song 30 years and a fence is all that separates you and me but somehow I'm a world away it's one of my favourite lines uh, in all the songs that I've written and we were talking me and Alan about the Hale-Bopp comet and we were both looking up at it and we were saying you know, we're admiring its beauty and commenting on the fact that soon it won't be around because it, it, we could see it for months and months and then suddenly we're in the final days of it being there. And these were the last moments that we'd get to see it until it came back 2,400 years later, I think it's due. And neither of us, you know, we agreed, neither of us would probably get to see it when it came back. You never know, though, do you? You never know. You never know. Well, you're laughing. You're laughing, but you never know. I might be the first person in the world to live beyond 2,000 years of age you don't know this so just don't stop mocking anyway so that was the moment that I got the idea to write the song and my first solo album was called The Compact Guide to Pop Music and Space Travel by the Clint Experience and the song that I wrote Comet Theme Number One is the second track on it and the song touches on like the passing of time obviously and age and generations me and my neighbour Alan me and this chunk of rock and ice hurtling through space at high speed and the main line in the chorus which is, uh, even with the state of things, I try, 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 it was a sort of little mantra that I had at the time. Because things, since the Inspirals had split in spring of 95, it had been a bit difficult at times, you know, just trying to keep things moving and focusing on new career things and wait for things to take effect and all that. So a lot of my efforts at that time had seemed a bit fruitless, you know, and all this in the, the overwhelming shadow of, like, the human race's very real mortality, you know what I mean? The arrival of this comet, Hail Bot, it sort of, even though it's a great feel-good story at the time, it had kind of reminded me about how we're only in this world for a mere speck of time, aren't we, people like me and you? 
It's like those TV shows that Brian Cox does, right? So Brian Cox, my mate from episode four, he makes these amazing TV shows and they are breathtaking. But when he comes out with some of the things he says, like, you just feel smart. Like he says, um, every carbon atom in every living thing on the planet was produced in the art of a dying star. And it's it's poetic, isn't it? It's poetic. And then what's that? Hold on, the the history of the third planet um, in the solar system as it makes its way lethargically around a galaxy called the Milky Way. That was one of his lines, wasn't it? And the best one, he says that life, life is just a temporary structure on the long road from order to disorder. And you're hearing these things, thinking, that's, that's great, Brian, but you just, you've made me feel right small now. I don't even feel like getting up. There's not much point in getting out of bed, really. I might as well just wait for the end of the world now and let all my molecules go back to whatever it was you just said. You know what I mean? Anyway, so back to the, that little song that I'm talking about. I wrote about this comet, and I got my friend Alfie Bohr, a.k.a. opera dude, opera singer, to do his magic on it. He did one of his best vocals on it, recorded his spectacular vocal. And we did it in my attic studio in Rochdale, with the skylight windows open, while the subject of the song, the Hillbot Comet, was still visible in the sky. It was almost like it was up there listening to us singing about it. Now that's a nice image, isn't it? little comet up there watching us sing about him. Oh, look at that, they're singing about me. Down there in Rochdale. Ooh, I like that opera singing. Sounds a bit like Alfie Ball. In terms of the instruments on it, as well as my cherished Farfisa compact duo, electric organ, the song features a couple of other vintage machines that I've got. One is a Suzuki Omnicord, this plastic thing. It's quite quite a folly of an instrument, really, created by the Japanese uh, motorbike manufacturers. Probably one Friday afternoon when they'd they'd got everything done early, finished building the latest batch of GS750s and they said, uh, yeah lads, what should we do now? Well no, let's build a quirky little plastic machine that emulates the auto arp, but we'll make it electronic. Let's do that. Stick some batches underneath it there. There you go. Anyway, the other antique keyboard that's on there, and it's the instrument which plays the lead part in the track, the, the lead melody that you're all the way through it. It's called a Univox Clavioline. A Univox Clavioline. It's an old British instrument. And it's this strange little thing which sounds... It sounds exactly like a duck when you play it, but when you put vibrato and echo on it, after that, it sounds like a duck on a space rocket. It's just one of the best sounds. It's one of my favourite sounds ever. If you listen to The Tornadoes made a single in 1962 called Telstar, produced by Joe Meek, and featuring, you'll like this, Matt Bellamy out of Muse, his dad, George, played rhythm guitar on Telstar. Anyway, on that, you'll hear the clavioline in full effect. And while you're listening to Telstar, you'll also realise that that's a song that I totally ripped off. Or that's a record I totally ripped off when I made Comet Theme Number One. It's pretty much identical, really. Don't, don't tell Joe Meek and don't tell Matt Bellamy's dad. Your pinky promise. Anyway, so the recording also features stellar performances by my drummer Tony Thompson at the time. Uh, bass player Richard Stubbs and uh, an absolutely shit-hot guitar solo by Matt Aden, who was the guitarist in the Clinton Experience. And I'm pretty sure that Sister Stubbs is on there as well. That's Richard Stubbs' sister, Catherine. I'm sure she's in there doing backing vocals as well. And it's still to this day a song that I'm extremely proud of. 2,000 years and this is life and it's the coolest thing. Oh, 
myself in another world Out on the street last night Looking at the sky just as the sun went down And standing by the side of my neighbor I saw you screaming on down the horizon Misty, you're a farm out of man and I I know that you'll be back someday just want to share with you a poem that I wrote for my dad. Uh, five years ago he passed away, or he shuffled along to the next room, as a vicar once so beautifully put at a service I went to. So yeah, this is the fifth anniversary this week of my dad's passing, and I wrote this poem at the time. I never could find it in me back then to narrate it, but I thought because it's a special occasion this week, I'll share it with you right now. It's for my dad, Cyril Boone, and it's called Dad, You Were God. Dad, you were God. Such a great big man. You were John Wayne, you were Bruce Lee, you were Jason and the Argonauts and Captain Scarlet to me. You were Action Man, you were Big Bad John. 
you were Batman, the 1960s one. A spaceman, you were Captain Kirk. Doctor Who, Doctor Doolittle, Doctor Doctor, who's there? Tom Jones, Tommy Cooper, you were Morecambe and Wise. You were such a giant in all of our eyes. You were the first man on the moon, Dad, not Neil Armstrong. And those amazing hands that could make anything at all. You were Lowry, Picasso, Kingdom Brunel. You were Pelly, Bobby Charlton, Gordon Banks as well. You were Richard Burton, you were Steve McQueen, you were Sterling Moss, you were Barry Sheen. And never was a man so in tune with nature and all its beauty. In another time, another place, you would have been an Indian chief or a medicine man, certainly a king. You were born out of time, you dad. I often think that. But every day I thank the stars you chose to be with us. And always, always, always a big smile for the children. Shove me on your shoulders and take me into shore. Show me some shops, then shuffle home once more. Build me a go-kart, build me a den. To me, you had the strength of a million men. Albert Einstein had nout on you, Dad. You were Winston Churchill, you were JFK, you were Elvis, James Dean and Cassius Clay. You were Johnny Seven, you were Johnny Be Good, you were John Peel, you were Robin Hood. And today, I am so happy that I will always be able to say, you were my dad. You were my dad. You gave me life and my life goes on. You were all my heroes rolled into one. Dad, you were God. If I can dream of a warmer sun Where hope keeps shining on everyone Tell me why, oh why, oh why Won't that sun appear? Right then. That's enough for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast once again. Don't forget to have a listen to the Spotify playlist, which I put together every week, where you can hear the full versions of the songs that you've been hearing bits of on here and uh, other stuff as well. I keep it to just 12 tracks each week, and you can find the link to Spotify on the information for each episode. Thanks again to Red's True Barbecue, whose food is stunning, by the way, and to uh, Distorted Productions, whose production skills are also stunning, by the way. If you want to get in touch with me, follow me on Twitter at... The Real Boon. Big shout out this week to Billy Bibby and his band The Rice Smiles. They were the guys that you heard at the end of episode two of my podcast. And they've just completed the first proper UK tour. And they've been saying to me on Twitter that listening to my podcast has really helped them on the travels. And that, to me, means a lot. Thank you, boys. Onwards and upwards. Billy Bibby and The Rice Smiles. Next week, I'll tell you about a new podcast that I'm going to be launching to go alongside Storytime with Boone. It'll feature 12 unsigned bands or artists on each episode. Make sure you're listening next week for all the details on that one. And that brings me around nicely to the unsigned artist who will close this episode. His name is Stephen James Gormley. He goes out under the name Moon Looks On. He likes to describe the sound as a folk-driven, rootsy, lyric-heavy style based around his life and those in his company. Now based in Dublin, Ireland, but originally from Sligo, Stephen has released two EPs over there at the moment that's currently recording his debut album. He's also halfway through an experimental concept EP, which is heavily electro, dubstep and EDM influence. That sounds good as well, doesn't it? His band are a four-piece at the moment, comprising violin, acoustic, electric guitars and uh, loop pedals, keys and drums. The musicians in the band are Laura on keys, Eileen on violin loop pedals and Jack on drums and percussion the band are currently gigging around the east coast of Ireland they've got a couple of gigs coming up in Dublin as well if you want to get in touch uh, moonlookson.com is the website and there's also a few extra tracks on SoundCloud as well if you want to check them out 
Stephen's on Twitter as well, at MoonLooksOn. He's only got 55 followers today. Just watch that rise over the coming months. That is going to go ballistic, I tell you. And I was absolutely stunned when I first heard this song. I still can't believe that Stephen and his band haven't been over to the UK yet to do a gig. And it's so exciting to be in this position where I'm about to introduce you to something which I believe, or I know, this artist will be huge. And I'm very honoured and very privileged that Stephen has let me play this to you. I'll be back next week, and for now I'll leave you with this breathtaking piece of music. It's called Friend of Mine, and it's by Moon Looks On. Lots of love to you. Storytime with Boone, with Red's True Barbecue. Subscribe now on iTunes. I wake up in the morning, I am feeling fine. I'm sitting and laughing, clouds keep rolling around my mind. I sit back, relax, I smoke it up all day. Up and down is easy, my friend, when you know the way and I know the way. I'm walking it every single day, I know the way. I close my eyes and I wake up again down Cloud Bay. I sit and see the sun bringing a brand new day. A thumbs up, everything around here's going adrift. The only man who ever really wants to give me a lift. He's a friend of mine Every time we meet I'm out of time He's a friend of mine Oh and he He was a friend of mine And every time we meet my friend I'm running out of time Oh he He was a friend of mine up in the morning feeling anything but fine There's blood on my pillow and a new blue ring around my eyes I'm reaching for redemption looking for help from above I do six rounds every night I go out and I wear no gloves I wear no gloves Tell me Lord am I incapable of and I wear no gloves I'm gonna fall from the sky like he broke This time I'll chase the shadows from my door I'll even out the wrongs I've done Let some others know the score And maybe if I count my blessings And open up my eyes Maybe then I'll see oh Lord, maybe I'll realize I've been going blind Maybe then I'll see Or else I'll realize That I've been going blind Oh, and me Was a friend of mine Every time we meet my friend, I'm running out of time Oh, he was a friend of mine And every time we meet my friend, I'm running out of time I'm running out of time
the time. 